We enter into prayer this morning, and it's from the Anglican tradition, the British tradition, Book of Common Prayer. So stay attentive, and don't just go through the motions. Pray them as prayers where you think, I wish I would have thought of that. I should, and now I get to. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let us stand and keep silent and let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor facing the cross of Jesus. Most merciful God, we confess, we confess that we, that have, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not, not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that, that we, we may, may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all of your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen all of us in your goodness, Lord, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Lord, open our lips and, and our, our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Just a word about the psalm of the day. Um, this is part of the prayer that Jonah prays. You know, Jonah, the one swallowed by the big fish. See if you don't hear some of the words of a prayer from inside the belly of a fish as he's been cast overboard. And um, see if you can't identify with what it would be like to pray inside the belly of the fish. O Lord and God of my salvation, I cry before you day and night. Let my prayer come into your presence, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is filled with evils, my life is on the brink of the grave. I am reckoned as one in the tomb. I am like a warrior without strength, like one roaming among the dead, like the slain lying in their graves, like those you remember no more, cut off as they are from your hand. You have laid me in the depths of the pit, in regions that are dark and deep. Your anger weighs down upon me. I am drowned beneath your waves. You have taken away my friends. To them you have made me hateful. Imprisoned, I cannot escape. My eyes are sunken with grief. I call to you, Lord, all day long. To you, I stretch out my hands. Will you work your wonders for the dead? Will the shades rise up to praise you? Will your mercy be told in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of perdition? Will your wonders be known in the dark, your justice in the land of oblivion? But I, O oh Lord, cry out to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why do you reject me, O oh Lord? Why do you hide your face from me? 
I am wretched, close to death from my youth. I have borne your trials. I am numb. Your fury has swept down upon me. Your terrors have utterly destroyed me. They surround me all the day like a flood. Together they close in against me. Friend and neighbor you have taken away. My one companion is darkness. Amen. Let us stand, and if you believe this, then you can recite the Apostles' Creed. It's a declaration of faith. It says, I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one God, only describable in three parts and in three persons that intersect with our lives. Join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And the Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern them and uphold them now and always. Day by day we bless you. We praise your name forever. Lord, keep us from all sin today. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy. For we put our trust in you. In you, Lord, is our hope. And we shall never hope in vain. Whisper the names of those who you know, need salvation or need sick or grieving or in loss. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service 
and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and then in the ages to come, life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful, everyone. Have a seat. Praise God. Well, we're in the middle of talking about the church, and I know uh, typically we talk about, you know, how we all are gathered together and how we make good friends at church and how deep our relationship becomes with each other, but I want to take a little bit different spin this morning because uh, in so many words, really, I'm not really talking about the social aspect of sin or what I would call the horizontal relationships, but more about a divine relationship, the vertical relationship that we all have with God, and that somehow all of us are put in that together. So with that sort of thought about a vertical divine relationship, what would be your elevator speech, you know, about the church? You know what the elevator speech is, you know, about three floors up? Like if, you, if somebody asks you in the elevator, what's the church? What would you say if you just had a few seconds? Um, I, I, I'll just cut to the quick on it because here's my answer. The, the job of the church, the church is all about prayer. You're like, well, that sounds rather simplistic. It is, and it's intentional. I've spent some 35 years in and around the church, and I've come down to that, that the church is about prayer. Because you could say, well, I thought the church's job was to preach the gospel. Like, that's a good one. And I thought the church's job is to live out the new community of believers. And you say, well, that's a good one too. You can say, well, I thought the church's job was to bring about the kingdom of uh, heaven on, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a good one too. None of those are wrong. And if you wanted to be a good Presbyterian or a good reformer, then you would say, you know, what the shorter catechism says, that the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and, and enjoy Him forever. And that's a wonderful one, too, from 500 years ago. But these days, I think the church's job is to teach everyone how to pray. And that's elevator ride shorthand for, I think the church's job is to teach everyone how to be in a deep, abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to get you to the feet of Jesus. That's it. Pray. That's what we're after. Are we getting this job done? Well, it's hard to say. It's hard to measure prayer these days. It's hard to measure one's depth. Uh, it's hard to measure one's depth in their relationship with God. Uh, unfortunately, we oftentimes uh, default and slip into consumerism, and then we ask, you know, consumer survey questions. Did you like the worship? Did you like the announcements? Did you like the lobby? Was the coffee good? And like, that doesn't have anything hardly to do with God. 
that has to do with customer satisfaction. It's really, really difficult to find some sort of quantitative research or survey that actually measures people's depth with God. Like, how many minutes during the day did you spend in prayer? Did you serve the poor? I mean, who knows? Very difficult. But I think prayer is the perfect goal for Lakeland these days. And that's part of the reason why we're exploring these written prayers, because I would like for us to deepen and thicken how we pray. And prayer, uh, if you're like me, is difficult by yourself, but with other people it gets easier. Of course, it has a great danger of becoming some dry, dusty thing. But sometimes I think my prayers by myself are dry and dusty. Oh God, I just really want to think up something to pray to you. That's pretty dusty. I think prayer is the perfect goal for Lakeland. So this morning, I want to teach you how to pray. <laughs> the Bible has two unusual, unusual teachers on prayer. Of course, everybody in the Bible is usually doing some kind of prayer, talking to God. But I want to pick on two, Jonah and Job. And their names are so close that I'm going to mix them up, and then it's your problem on which one I'm talking about. But I thought, when I wrote down Jonah and Job, I thought, this is going to be so, I'm going to be swapping these names back and forth, and everybody's going to be lost. But it doesn't matter, because they're both kind of saying the same thing, a little bit different, so it's okay. Jonah and Job fall into, both of them fall into terrible circumstances. Jonah's famous for being swallowed by the big fish, as we were talking about out of Psalm 88, his prayer from in the belly. Jonah's nation, if you don't know the story, is overrun by the Assyrians from the north. Imagine that, a battle going on between Israel and Syria. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, back then, the northerners, the Assyrians, are plundering, and they are powerful. The Assyrian uh, empire is powerful in those days. They are brutal. They are, uh, it's unimaginable what they even do to people. They just, for instance, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of shock, they, they put them on a death march to Nineveh. And they cut off the heads of their loved ones and their leaders and tied them, made them wear them on ropes around their necks as they did the death march. Yeah, these are the kind of people we're talking about. Jonah thinks these people are bad people. I think Jonah's probably right. And God wants Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites, these Assyrians, and tell them that God wants to forgive them and love them. <laughs> and Jonah's like, I'm not having anything to do with that. And so that's when he gets thrown overboard because he's fleeing away from God. And then inside the belly of the big fish, in your pit of despair, <laughs> you pray this. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day, and I spread out my hands to you. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Job is the other unusual teacher of prayer in the Bible. Job validates Jonah's you did this to me attitude. Job says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. God, 
Even though you're going to crush me, I will cling to you. Job chapter 13, verse 15, and worth memorizing. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. However, unlike Jonah, Job is not attempting to run away from God. So you kind of have these, you know, Jonah's the bad prayer guy. He prays about the same sort of content as Job, but Jonah's running from God, and Job, you know, the patience of Job, you ever hear that line? Well, Job sticks around, even in his misery, even though his friends and his wife say, why don't you just curse God and die? Job says, I'm not going to do it. He's not happy with God, but he doesn't run away from God, unlike Jonah. Job wants his day in court with God. And by the way, if you ever read Job and you keep a court metaphor going in your mind, you'll understand it much better. It's like a court case. And uh, Job's friends come forward as like witnesses and sometimes prosecutors trying to prosecute Job. You must have done something wrong, Job. And then God's lawyer comes in, uh, uh, Elihu, and then God himself shows up. You read Job like that? It'll make more sense. Anyway... Job wants his day in court with God. And our Jewish friends, or at least my Jewish friend, uh, and his rabbi, who I talked to, have a word for this relationship of prayer, of how to pray, and it's, a, it's sort of a Hebrew Yiddish word. And it's davka. Say, say this word, davka. davka. Uh, come on, get your Hebrew on. You know, davka, you got to spit a little bit when you say it, you know. I wish it had one of those huh words in it, you know, like... Hanukkah, you know, or something like that. But Davka, you just have to, you know, Davka. Do it again. Davka. There you go. Now you're, yeah. And then Oive. All right. Uh, my brother-in-law, my Jewish brother-in-law who passed away a few years ago, uh, was a very colorful character. And he's from New York City. And, uh, and, and he taught me a lot uh, about Judaism. Um, and he's the one who brought this word up to me, davka, because we were talking about God and things like that one night. And he said, davka sums up the prayer from the belly. Davka is the prayer that you utter when things are terrible, but you cling to God. And he explained it this way, because he'd just come back from a trip to Israel. He said, davka is like this. I will fly on El Al Airlines, the Israeli airline, even though the Palestinians have just made a vow back then that they would shoot down any El Al airliner that they saw, he says, Davka says, I will fly on El Al Airlines, not only despite the Palestinians, but because of them. Like, really? It's like this idea of praying to God. In spite of God, I will pray to God. <laughs> in spite of what God is doing to me and my nation and my people and my family, I cling to God. The idea of praying to God in spite of God is this idea of prayer from Jonah and Job. It's very complex if you think about it. It's very relational. It's intimate. It's much like a child, if you have disciplined well, if you have disciplined well for the three-year-old, and you have done your healing right, 
the child will cling to you even though you have disciplined them. Yes? That is a healthy, secure relationship of parent to child. The child doesn't go off in the corner and sulk and, and in a three-year-old mind cuss you out. The child doesn't run away or is inconsolable. The child clings to the one whom actually is correcting them. That's a healthy relationship. That's a proper attachment, just to get into the psychology of it. Though you slay me, still I will hope in you. And you might think, well, that's not very smart. And Job's friends and certainly his wife said, yeah, that's not smart. Get rid of that God. That God's not treating you right. Time to become an atheist. But that doesn't really stop Jonah and Job from praying. Instead, these two argue with God. They wrestle with God. They want their day in court with God. And eventually, eventually, what happens is, is for Jonah, well, not so much Jonah, but certainly for Job, what happens eventually is, is they change their world to fit God instead of attempting to get God to change and fit into their world. See, most people will lose their fledgling faith because God does not accommodate to their worldview. But what happens if we change our world to fit God? This is the secret of Davka. This is the secret to biblical prayer. Prayer is changing us, not the mind of God necessarily. I've listened to two cancer survivors over the past few years. Very different relationships with God. The most recent woman still had cancer. And it's been uh, a few years and she's been fighting it. She's positive and upbeat. I mean, way upbeat. But as we can only imagine, it has been incredibly difficult because she's been dealing with cancer. Is her cancer God's fault is part of her question. She thinks in her mind, my God doesn't do this to people who follow him. How can this be happening to me is basically her summation. And her relationship with God is distancing and straining and is getting filled in with questions about how can this be? My God, she says, is loving and only wants the best for me. That sounds right. It sounds like she doesn't know what to do with her cancer and her current picture of God. Somehow the two are not compatible together. She's highly church. She's very devout, a very moral person, one of those special, cool people in the church. The other woman, a few years ago, Lori and I were at a retirement party in New York City on a, in a, over the Christmas holiday. Beautiful being in New York City when snowing, you know, in Central Park and blah, blah, blah. And here we're at this retirement party, and there's a very small group of these successful businessmen. I mean, way beyond, you know, my sort of idea of what's normal income and these sorts of things. And we're gathered in the man who's celebrating uh, in his favorite Italian restaurant. You had to go downstairs to a special room just off, you know, Broadway. 
And down there, the wine's flowing and the Italian food, you know, it's New York City and we're eating this awesome Italian food. And I mean, you know, it's getting warm in the room and the jokes are flying and they're telling war stories from being on the road together and all this sort of thing. And I mean, it's, it's a wonderful time. It looked like a movie set. The room, the people, the conversation, they're all brilliant, intelligent, wealthy people. I'm sitting over there, you know, the pastor guy, right? I don't have any of these kind of war stories. And next to me, even further in the corner, is this woman who had been fighting cancer for two years. And she didn't say very much. She wasn't participating in the war stories. And since her and I weren't really doing too much and didn't know any of the real stories, or at least she didn't care to participate, I asked her, so how's the past year been for you? which is polite pastor code for how's the cancer going. And she leaned in a little to me and she whispered, she said, I feel like I'm the only person alive. Here we are in this situation, in this world of dreams in New York City in an Italian restaurant on a rainy night before we're going to the theater. Friends, success, Italian food, stories and laughter. What we'd all call living the good life. And next to me is a woman living close to death, and she thinks all of us are the dead ones, and she's the only one alive. What's more, she really wasn't all that devout of a churchgoer or a Christian or anything like that. Did she blame God? I didn't ask. She didn't say. It didn't matter. God was with her. And she felt closer and more alive than before she had the cancer. She survived. She had not abandoned God, and she didn't think God had abandoned her. She kept God and adjusted God to fit her cancer. She fit herself to the cancer and to God. She rearranged everything. Just like Job, some, somewhat like Jonah in the belly of the big fish, she learned how to pray. And probably the prayers that we would do around here and all that, she'd probably say, like, that just doesn't cut it. You don't get it. They really are prayers from the belly of the fish, from the gut. This is real prayer. This is the real red meat prayer. This is what we learn about prayer from Jonah and from the rest of the Bible. The belly is the very best place to be if you want to learn how to pray. Hitting the wall is your most spiritual moment. You know, for those of you who are in midlife or beyond and you think like, you know, I've been going to church for 20 years, and I'm a Christian. I got the Bible down the whole bit. And like, so why do I feel like leaving church? And why do I feel like leaving God in the whole bit? Actually, I'm not really going to give up my faith. I just don't know what to do with it these days. Actually, I really kind of hate everything. I'm kind of damned if I do and damned if I don't. I don't know what to do. What am I going to do with this God and this church? Everything. That's when you're at the wall. You don't need to raise your hand if you're there. Sooner or later, in one degree or another, people hit the wall. You and I are going to have to lean into that mess at the wall. And you're going to have to davka. You're going to have to recognize that you're in the belly of the big fish. And you're going to have to pray a gut prayer. Don't miss the telling sequence of events in Jonah's soul searching. First, he sins... Then he runs from God. 
Then he has to be thrown overboard. Just end it. I'm done. I don't want any more of this. Save yourselves. I'll take the hit. Then Jonah sinks down. He's wrapped with seaweed around his head. And a huge fish swallows him. Now get this right. The fish is not his punishment. That's sometimes mistakenly taught to kids in Sunday school. You know, he ran from God. He's bad, you know, because kids want to know who's good and who's bad. So we're going to have to tell them Jonah's bad. Oh, okay, don't do that. Instead, it says God sent the fish to swallow him, to put him into the belly, to put him at the wall, to teach him how to pray, to corral him in. And so, you know, Jonah's now down there in the belly of the fish, a good Jewish prophet, you know, and he's down there like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Why don't you squirt a little lemon juice in my paper cup while you're at it? You know, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? But God's good mercy and grace, Jonah finds himself inside this fish. The fish is a mercy. It's a grace. It's a gift. <laughs> You're like, that's a gift? He accuses God. He's angry at God. And yet he clings to God. You hurled me into the sea. This is your storm. And you brought this upon me. Jonah placates God. He tries to pray the prayers of Psalm 88. I'll just go to the Psalter. I'll just go to the Psalms. I'll just pray what I'm supposed to pray. Some scholars say, like, these are really cheesy prayers for him. He's trying to get out of jail, you know. What, what, right, what right magical words do I need to pray? Don't we do this when we pray sometimes? Can I come up with a magical incantation? What if I do the Lord's Prayer? Will that, like, solve my problem, my financial woes? Maybe I need to go to church more. What if I give away some, you know, money to something? Is that enough? You might as well get yourself an idol and put it in the corner of the living room and just bow down to it three times a day. That's superstition. That's not a relationship with God. Salvation is in the belly. And all those simple religious slogans, you know, that over the past few years where we try and simplify and hurry up spirituality that don't work, like what would Jesus do and just let go and let God and God's my co-pilot and all this other sort of cheesy stuff are just a sham without the belly of the big fish and God is your maker. You see, everyone... What is going on with Jewish prayer, with biblical prayer, what we must learn about how to pray is that they do not leave God. Jonah does not leave. He tries to run from God, but he accuses God the whole time. See, he still belongs to God. Job, in his patience, just waits on God and doesn't curse him even though he's extremely angry with God. You see, they belong to God. That's the secret to prayer, to say, I belong to you. Though you slay me, I will hope in you. That's the honest prayer. You don't have to be happy with God. You don't have to gloss things over. You simply have to have a gut-wrenching prayer that says, I belong to you. Do with me what you want. The difference between Job and Jonah is that Jonah ran and he, then he ran into God. You can't get away from God if you belong to him. 
And I think we're like Jonah more often than not. That's just my hunch. I think we run. I don't, I don't know if you're running from God these days, but I'll guarantee you this, you're going to run into God. You could call yourself an agnostic or an atheist and be running from God and not believing in any of this stuff, but you're going to run into God because there's a divine image within you. There's a divine spark. You're made in the image of God. You have the imago dei in you. The image of God is within you. That's your imprint. If you had spiritual DNA, it's in there and it draws you back to God. I hope and pray it doesn't take a crisis, but usually no growth happens, happens without a loss. That's just human life. Nothing happens without a loss. You get your heart broke by a girl, you learn a lot about love. You lose a spouse, you lose a child. Lord, help you. If you come out of it, you understand what it means to be alive. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's a grief, maybe you're running from your lack of intimacy and you're just entertaining yourself, trying to make the days go by so you don't have to think. Just staying busy, watching the blue tube and pretending that life has meaning. Sooner or later, you got to wake up and say, though you slay me, I will cling to you. That's when we start getting deeper with God. That's when we start getting deeper with God. And that's what Jonah had to do eventually, and that's what Job got to do. Good old Job. He waits for his day in court with God, and he gets it. But Jonah and Job, they both remain in this relationship. That is the difference of how we learn to pray. Now, I, I know I didn't tell you some technique or some trick or some like three steps on how to pray or, or give you some acronym, you know, like adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I didn't give you some sort of little formula. Because you can't formula a relationship. You might as well come after 10 years of marriage and say, so just tell me the formula on how to get my wife to like me. Like... Well, good luck with that. It's not that easy, is it? It's a relationship. It's not a trick. And anyone who wants to trick God is just fooling themselves. I'll tell you what, here's the one discipline you need to do. <laughs> you need to flee you need to embrace silence. And anytime things are really, really bad, just stop eating. <laughs> like, he's not supposed to say that kind of thing to people. Yeah, fast. Because anytime everything really hits the fan, you know what I'm talking about, then people don't eat. Flee. Be silent. Pray your guts out. So here's the prescription from the soul doctor. If you've got some place to go, a cabin or a retreat, then you go there. Now, the problem with having your own cabin is that you've got to go there and weed eat and cut the grass and paint and fix that and fix this, you know, because the last people that were there clogged the disposal and all that kind of thing. 
So it might be better if you just get in your car, take a day off from work, really take a day of vacation, you drive to the top of Nolan Road to the sisters of the Franciscan Prayer Center. You'll have to call them a couple of weeks in advance because they're not real comfortable with quickness, okay? But you go up to the Franciscan sisters at the center, sisters at the top of Nolan Road. You take that last right, you go past the little soybean field and you end up at this convent and they'll have a room there and you check yourself in for the day and you take your journal and your Bible and a pen and wait on God in the belly of the fish. Find something like that. I remember for me, one night in college, my dad had had a stroke. Next 22 years, he was an invalid. But that night, when I heard about that, and after I'd gone to the hospital and all that, actually it wasn't that night, it was a couple, few nights later, I got my backpack at 19 years old and I just took off for the woods. I kind of liked that sort of thing. And I built a fire and it was in the middle of winter. And that night, just me in the woods. You ever done this? Just you in the woods? Like, that's interesting. And I prayed out loud all night to God. Have you done anything like that? Are you embracing this discipline of fleeing, of being silenced, and praying, fasting, where everything stops and you say, I've got to go get with God? That's what you're after. You see, everyone, that's what Jesus did. Early in the morning before everybody rose, he went off to pray. That night, about before, right before he was about to be arrested, he went further and further into the garden until finally not even Peter was with him. And that night, he prayed and prayed, God, if there is any way for this cup to pass, I belong to you. It's not going to pass. Your will, not mine. Let's get on with it. And then comes the Holy Sabbath, that Saturday where Jesus is in the grave, in the belly of the fish, just like he said he was going to be. As he said, like Jonah, I'll be in the belly of the fish. And third day, he raises again. And that's the pattern of prayer for us. Let us stand. And we'll leave with the words of Paul in the middle of his uh, letter to the Ephesians where he just gets so excited. He's just so excited about what God's going to do amongst them that he just says these words right in the middle of the whole letter. He says this, join me. Glory to God whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.